Welcome to Victory Christian Center's audio podcast. We hope this message encourages you, and we look forward to connecting with you on social media or FCCFMD.com. Until we had breakfast, and we couldn't have breakfast. 
box, and there's a little memory card. I was starting to get excited because I found this memory card, but I didn't know what I was going to do with it. So I opened up the next box, and there's a camera case, and I got all excited. I opened up the camera case, it was empty. So I get to the final box, and I open it up, and there was the camera. There was the camera. It was like this anticipation just kept building and building and building. Where is it? It's what I really wanted in this thing. And so this morning, we are going to take a look at one of the most anticipated gifts for all of humanity. Think about the day that Jesus arrived on the scene. Think about the moment that all of humanity had been waiting for, had been anticipating for, had been waiting for the birth of their Messiah. And in their minds, I think they had to be thinking, there's going to be a trumpet, right? There's going to be this big exuberant celebration, and all of heaven is going to rejoice, and everything, all spotlights, the whole nine yards. And then Jesus comes in the most humble way possible. And the world is sleeping. They don't recognize him when he comes. The long-awaited gift arrived, and yet he wasn't only by a few, only by a few who were waiting and anticipating his coming. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at what that first Christmas box looked like. You can read with me in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It's on the screen if you'd like to follow along. Scripture says, this is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his one and only Son into the world. So that we might live through him. There's the purpose. God did what? He sent his son into the world so that what? We might live through him. And love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Think about that for a minute. You ever been unlovable? You ever had some times in your life where you've just been the most unlovable person around? John assures us that it's not because we love God. But he loved us. He saw us. He loved us in spite of who we are. And he sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We could go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, this is where that, that cradle comes in. That word became that John uses in the King James Version. It says he was made. And if you look up that phrase, he was made in the Greek, it has a lot of definitions, but here's one of them. It means to appear in history. It means to come upon the stage or appear in public. John is saying Jesus came on the scene. He showed up, and we were, he was visible to us. And this is significant. Because John begins his gospel by telling us that in the beginning, the Word was with God. That the Word is God, because the Word is Jesus, who was with God in the beginning, although we did not see Him. And then John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we did what? We beheld His glory. That word dwelt, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. John uses it here in the book of John, but he also uses it as he's pinning the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. And it means to fix one's tabernacle or to abide. Jesus came, became flesh, and dwelt among us because he wanted to abide with us. This 
in John 3.16 as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. If you remember the story, Nicodemus comes to Jesus kind of on his own. I think probably kind of quiet, kind of under the cover of night. He didn't want people to know. You know, he was a respected man, well-educated man. He didn't want people to know he's going to ask Jesus questions. He comes to Jesus, how can I be born again? Right, and Jesus tells him, he tells him that God loved the world so much. I can imagine that Jesus sat there with Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, my dad loves you so much. He loves you so much. He knows who you are. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus sitting there with Nicodemus, my dad loves you. He sent me to tell you how much he loves you. He sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Can you imagine how Nicodemus must have walked away from that conversation? He came wanting to know how he could be born again and he left speaking to the very one who was able to give him eternal life. See, God gave so that we might live. And he sent Jesus to dwell among us, to live among us so that we might live. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have what? That you might have life and have it more abundantly. That word abundant in the Greek means overflowing. I came that your life would be so full that it's going to overflow to those around you. In Luke chapter 2, where we find the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, here's what Luke tells us. He says that while they were there, the time came for her child to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so if you're familiar with the story, you know that Joseph and Mary, they had to travel to Bethlehem by order of a decree from Caesar Augustus because Joseph was of the house and the lineage of King David. And so they get to the town and they're knocking on the door and there's no room. There's no place for them to stay after they've traveled on this journey. And so they have to spend the night outdoors. If you look at the Greek word for the word manger, it actually says crib. It's kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? It means crib. My family has a farm and at the home place there's an old building called the corn crib. And it was basically a grapevine that's used to dry out the corn. It was something that was used to store nourishment, something used to store Food. And so the crib that's referred to in Luke chapter 2 was something that was intended for animals. It was meant to hold something life-giving for the livestock who needed to use it. And so we all have this picture in our minds, right? We have one on the back wall of this beautiful nativity scene, right? With this perfectly uh, pitched little um, manger scene and stable all neatly laid with hay. And we have the manger there that's overflowing with hay. And we have the baby Jesus with his little rosy cheeks and blue eyes, a little halo around his head. And Mary's glistening and glowing in her blue and white gowns, right? That's the picture, isn't it? That's the picture that we have of the nativity. Well, Mary just gave birth outside, without a midwife, without a doctor. Without medication, Lord have mercy. I mean, I'll just say it. Imagine, okay? And she's ever so neat and glowing in her in her attire. So there's a there's a reality check, right? So Jesus was a Jewish man, so he no doubt had an olive-toned skin. He had dark hair, probably had dark eyes. That's the region that he was born in. 
in all of her glory. The reality is, is that Mary, who was nine months pregnant, God bless this woman, traveled by foot. Maybe she rode a donkey for part of the way. We're not exactly sure, right? But either way, she and Joseph just traveled to Bethlehem from Nazareth. It would have taken about a week for them to make this journey. No trains, no cars, no planes, no buses on a very rocky and steep terrain. They would have been out traveling at night probably sometime while animals surrounding them. It would have taken about a week if they traveled about eight hours a day. So if you haven't been pregnant, ladies, traveling on foot eight hours a day through steep and rocky terrain, it's going to be a tiresome journey. You can imagine how tired and worn out she must have been when they get to Bethlehem and as they're knocking. Nope. No place here. No vacancy. Sorry. No beds available. You can imagine, man, she must have just been so weary after that journey. Some of us know what that's like. And so they meander to this manger and the time comes for her to give birth. And I, I would like to think of Mary in the physical since she found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so when Gabriel told her what was going to happen, she said, yes, right? Yes. It's going to be exactly as you said. Let it happen to me according to your word. She was so willing. But I think in this moment, she was probably thinking, Lord, why? Why? Why here? Why now? You can imagine there was a manger. There were probably animals nearby, which means there probably would have been a little bit of a stench, right? I don't know if any of you ever walked through a barnyard after the animals finished eating. It was pretty nasty, right? It's a pretty nasty place. This is probably what they encountered. This is the scene. There's no warm, fresh hospital blanket to wrap the baby in. So she wraps him in strips of cloth. She lays him in a manger. Most scholars believe that the manger was probably made of stone, probably limestone. And so there are uh, many archaeologists over the years who have uncovered hundreds of these things throughout the regions of Bethlehem and Megiddo. And you see a wooden trough wouldn't have survived very long out in the elements. So a lot of shepherds would use these troughs that had been carved from limestone so that they could hold water for their animals to drink from. Luke mentions the manger a couple of times in Luke chapter 2. You know, just as David was out tending to his sheep in the fields, there were shepherds, Scripture tells us, who were abiding in the fields, taking care of their flocks by night. And so these shepherds were no doubt familiar with these mangers, with these troughs filled with water. They wouldn't have necessarily needed a manger filled with hay because their livestock were feeding outside, grazing off of the vegetation that was there in the hills. But they would have needed water. And so the first time Luke mentions this manger is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, we've just read Mary laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. He mentions it a second time in verse 12. He said, this shall be a sign unto you. This is what the angels are speaking to the shepherds. You shall find the baby wrapped in blankets lying in a manger. And then the third time in verse 16, they came with haste. The shepherds came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And so while Luke does mention the manger, he doesn't mention a stable, 
doesn't mention a, a dwelling place or a barn or any other structure that provided shelter for Mary and Joseph, but he does mention this manger. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about the angels appearing to the shepherds, telling them the Messiah has been born. He's on the scene. You're going to find him in a manger. Now, to a shepherd, you would be familiar with where the mangers were in that area because you've been herding and, and taking your flocks throughout the region, so you would have been familiar with that. The angels didn't come to the shepherds and say, well, guys, you're going to have to journey into Bethlehem. You're going to walk four miles, and then you're going to find Old Man Tanner's barn, and just behind that in the hotel is where Mary and Joseph and Jesus are going to be. They said, you will find him lying in a manger. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus was easily accessible. He wasn't hidden away. He wasn't tucked away so that it was difficult to find where he was. The shepherds had to make a journey. They had to travel to find Jesus. But he was out where they could find access to him. Some scholars believe that the manger was located in a cave. There have been archaeological digs over the years that have found caves that were adjacent to people's homes, and that's where they would house their livestock. In fact, Constantine actually had the church of the Nativity constructed in a cave that was claimed to have been the birth site of Jesus. We don't know for sure. Scripture doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't mention whether Jesus was born in a cave or outside of a home or in a barnyard or in the pasture there beside the manger, but it does mention the manger. And it's incredibly significant because this is the first Christmas box. Those stone mangers were cut out of limestone in the shape of a box to hold life-giving water. Jesus was laid in that trough. He was laid in that manger, the living water, the bread of life, born in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. He was laid to rest in a manger. The very one who came to give you and I abundant life was placed in the very thing that was life-giving to the animals who needed it. The first Christmas box, the cradle, the manger, foreshadows the burial that is yet to come. See, when Jesus was pronounced dead on Calvary's cross, it was Joseph of Arimathea who offered his tomb for the body of Jesus. So just as the manger was most likely borrowed, so was his tomb. Tombs in those days were carved into stone. They were mostly in hollowed out caves. And so here we fast forward 33 years and we find the Lamb of God, the Word of God Himself, laid to rest yet again on a slab of stone. And as the stone rolled over that entrance, the tomb was sealed. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And that Jesus Himself is the what? He's the chief. Think about that for a minute. The stone that the builders rejected most likely laid to rest at his birth on a slab of stone. At his burial laid to rest on a slab of stone. 
He alone is the chief cornerstone that is our foundation. We go back to our text in John chapter 4. He says this. He said that love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That first Christmas box cradling the very word of God as a picture of what was yet to come. I want to ask you this morning, as you wrap all of your packages this Christmas with bows, what will be the most important gift that you present this Christmas? Those of you with kids and grandkids, man, they start their list in January, don't they? I want this for Christmas, I want this, and they just, you know, it just goes a whole year long. What is the most important gift that you will present this Christmas? Will it be the hottest item on the toy list? Will it be the latest gadget, the latest electronic gadget? Will it be a trip? Will it be a meal? Will it be the stockings that you open or the sparkle in the eyes of your loved ones as you gather together? Will it be the traditions that you share? Or perhaps it will be the reality very first Christmas box and the gift that was placed inside that was given so freely to each of us that would believe. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and that he sent his son for us. See that first Christmas box, it wasn't wrapped in shiny paper with ribbons and bows, wasn't nestled neatly under a Christmas tree, couldn't find it on the shelf of a department store, but it held a priceless gift for you and I. And it foreshadowed what was yet to come. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The gift that God sent to us because I know that sometimes Christmas can be a, a daunting time of year for some of us, can it? We can kind of feel the loss. We sense the grief. Holidays can be rough sometimes. We can rejoice and we can put on a smile, but sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes they're hard. And I want to encourage you this Christmas, you don't have to experience it alone. Because there's a God who loves you. There's a God who sees you, and he sent you a priceless gift to give you life abundant and overflowing. All he asks is that you put your trust in him. Believe that he sent his son to die for your sins. comes to live within you and lead and guide and direct you. Scripture says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Would you put your trust in him? Put your trust and your hope in that first Christmas box. That life-giving water, the bread of life that came to earth just for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you today. I thank you, Lord, that you are El Roy. You are the God who sees. And Lord, just as you saw Hagar and Ishmael out there in the wilderness, 
You see each of us. You see us for exactly who we are. We can't fool you. We can't put on a facade. You see through us. You see our situations. You see our struggles. You see our shortcomings. And yet, you love us. And so God, this morning, I thank you that you loved us enough to give us a gift that no price tag could be put on. You loved us enough to send your one and only son lay him in that very first Christmas box. You gave us the gift of life. And so friends, if you're here today, maybe you're tuning in online, you say, you know what? Life's just been too hard. It's been too difficult. I can't see, I can't even imagine what tomorrow is going to look like. I don't want to think that far ahead. Let me assure you today that there is a God who has gone before you. He sees all of your yesterdays and he's already written all of your tomorrows. All you have to do is trust him. All you have to do is say, God, I believe. I believe that you love me enough to give me your son. Believe that you love me enough to give me life. So today I ask you to forgive me. To come into my life. Would you cleanse and restore me? I want you to be the savior of my heart. God wants nothing more than for you to surrender your heart and your life today. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Not guaranteed tomorrow. So maybe this Christmas, the greatest gift that you can present is surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus. That God is yours. I surrender control. I give it to you today. He's waiting with open arms for you to come to him. You haven't gone too far. He's there and he's waiting because he loves you. Because he sees you. Would you surrender your heart to him today? God, we thank you this morning for the ultimate gift that you've given to us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. So Lord, I pray that you would stir within us today that fire burning in our hearts to seek after you this Christmas. Not after the gifts, not after the wish list, not after all of the traditions and the parties and all the things that we have to do. That God, we would be still in the midst of it. And remember that you came to dwell among us. You came to abide with us. So help us to set aside the busyness of the season. Help us to set aside the commercialism of the season and focus on the true reason for the season. God, would you fix our eyes on you, we ask. In Jesus' name.
In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Friends, we love you this morning. We're here. If you need special prayer, you can come find us uh, at the end of the service. But be blessed. Be encouraged. We're so thankful for you. And we look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. Hey, um, before we dismiss, I just wanted to say thank you to the Lord because he's been good to me and my family. I didn't say anything earlier when we wanted praise reports. Thank you for listening to Victor Christian Center's audio podcast. We look forward to connecting with you on our social media or at FCCFND.com.